0: Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening, and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, Director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Lad Egan, political reporter with KSL. Kate Bradshaw, director of government affairs at Holland and Hart, and bountiful city councilwoman. And we have Ben Winslow, reporter with Fox 13 News. Thank you all for being with us. We've got to get right into the issue that every Utahan is talking about, everyone in the country is talking about, the state's response, ours in particular, Ben, to coronavirus, to the impacts. So the governor had a news conference just yesterday. You were there. He's talking about some of the restrictions as we get ready to go into the holiday. Please talk about what some of those are.
1: Well, the safest way to gather with your family is just don't really Um, just gather with only the people that you live in your household with that's the recommendation from the State Department of Health the COVID-19 Unified Command and the governor if you're going to do it there's other things you need to do Uh, stay physically distant even inside your home keep it small keep it short Um, have one person prepare the food masked serve the food as well don't pass the plate don't pass the dish Um, if you can hold it outdoors hey that's even better Uh, make sure there's plenty of ventilation but medical experts and even the governor said look the easiest way to do this and we know it's hard for everybody you want to get together this is not the time to do that when we have cases at an all-time high so just keep it to your own household and talk to everybody on
0: zoom yeah so okay this is interesting because the restrictions come right before Thanksgiving there were a lot of people who felt like the, the harsher restrictions should have stayed in place not not loosen them up a little bit before Thanksgiving
2: you know, the governor is in a in a tricky spot. He's balancing um, areas along the Wasatch front that are hitting hospital capacity and that is very scary. And then he's balancing more rural areas of the state that aren't seeing it in quite the same way. And he's got a little bit of a legislative rebellion on going as well. And so it's it's put him in a difficult spot of trying to manage that middle. At my house, we're looking forward to what we're calling Steaksgiving, um, and it'll just be our small little family.
0: <laughs> With steaks.
2: <laughs> not a big turkey fan, and I'm really not great at cooking it, so we're modifying this year in the tradition of 2020.
0: Yeah, so, so Lad, uh We were just hearing a little bit about some of these these conflicts with our, our legislature, which seems to be brewing a little bit now, too, but particularly some of the more conservative elements of our Republican Party are kind of going after the governor saying these are even if they're appropriate for some of these things, you should not have the power to do these kinds of things.
3: Yeah, and that, and that debate is waging on, and, and particularly in my report yesterday, seeing that this debate is particularly strong amongst the school districts, and the, U, the uh, Utah Education Association uh, feels like the governor ignored their request to move some secondary schools online. They're in high transmission areas when he came out with his emergency declaration two weeks ago and now they're they're surveying their teachers trying to figure out what's next in terms of what to do with schools they say teachers are feeling overwhelmed uh, with trying to balance that online and also in-person teaching and actually in one of their surveys that they sent out yesterday to all the member teachers in their union asked about some sort of a work stoppage would they support a sick out a way to get the governor's attention
0: wow so okay that is true And you you have to you have to hear from these folks in your elected position also.
2: I do. I mean, I hear from them as a city council member. I also have a spouse that is a teacher, a high school teacher, and his high school is currently on an online closure. It's been a tough year for teachers. Um, They've had to adapt quickly. Uh, They've been teaching more because sometimes they're doing uh, remote learning for kids on quarantine. They've been in person in the classroom. Now they've switched to online. It's been it's been a very difficult year. And it's been a difficult year at our house um, because of that as well. You know, teachers are doing their best, parents are doing um, their best, and kids are doing their best. Uh, but it's, it's definitely a challenge um, that I think we're going to see probably more action on after Thanksgiving. It feels a little mm-hmm. bit like we're all holding our breath to see if we can handle Thanksgiving. After every holiday, yeah. we've seen a bit of a spike. Perhaps if we can get through Thanksgiving without a spike, then maybe our education options look different. If we have a big spike, then I think the governor will probably have to look a little more closely at some of those things the UEA is asking for. Mm
0: -hmm. So so Ben, I want to get to one of these points of the restrictions that that have stayed in place. I have to ask you, because you have the best masks in the whole state of of Utah (laughs) routinely, uh, but the mask mandate (laughs) did not go away, all right? this one thing the governor is keeping in place.
1: Right, what he did is for Thanksgiving, he amended the public health order, which goes into effect or you know expires Monday and then the new public health order is going to affect the next day he raised the limit on social gatherings right now you can't gather with anybody or you're you're strongly encouraged or recommended to not gather with anybody outside your own household Uh, that will be lifted so that you know if Mm -hmm. people want to get together for Thanksgiving they can but again the same things that I talked about earlier remain in place the mask mandate that's going to stay and that may stay essentially till further notice we haven't seen the new public health order we don't know when the expiration date is Uh, the state epidemiologist Dr. ANGELA DUNN HAD SAID THAT IN A BRIEFING BEFORE THE HEALTH AND HUMAN SERVICES COMMITTEE THAT REALLY IF WE WERE STILL ON THE TRANSMISSION INDEX THAT THAT SCALE OF YOU KNOW WHICH COUNTIES ARE HIGH MEDIUM LOW ONLY THREE COUNTIES IN UTAH RIGHT NOW WOULD NOT BE IN THE HIGH CATEGORY PRETTY MUCH THE ENTIRE STATE is in the high-risk category for COVID-19. That's why you're seeing a lot of these public health orders staying. Another thing that's going to stay in place is bars having last call at 10 o'clock. Uh, that, the, I know there's been a lot of restaurants and bars that have been very upset about that. The goal of that by the health department is to limit gatherings, just to stop mm-hmm. people from congregating in places. So if you have last call early, you know, go home. That's kind right. of the goal of this without mandating
0: it necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Lad, w- one of the interesting points to these, these great points that Ben just made is uh, how we're starting to see Republican governors uh, across the, the, the country starting to institute some of these mask mandates. We saw it last week in Massachusetts. Our own governor has done this as well. D- is this a sign that maybe even that one issue is becoming less about politics, a little more, more about public health, or is that still just raging on as it has been? so far.
3: I think the debate rages on, especially you kind of have a, a rural-urban divide and a political divide on that. But I think with us getting past the election, we are seeing uh, that maybe these Republican governors are more likely to do that with maybe the political climate, uh, the temperature being dialed down just a little bit. Uh, but definitely, I think the the debate rages on in terms of of people's personal opinions about it. But as a as the science becomes more clear that uh, wearing masks protects not only the wearer but the uh, but those around them and that that in conjunction with social distancing and the other measures uh, can help slow the spread and I know in Utah a lot of the discussion that the Health Department and the Hospital Association is trying to help people understand is when they were saying our ICU beds were 85% full, many thought, well, there's still 15% more beds to be had. And they're saying no, at 85%, especially in our 16 referral hospitals that are best equipped to take care of the COVID patients, that when they reach that 85% capacity, they are functionally full. They, that's all they have the staff for. And that when they get to that point, the rural hospitals can't send their sickest patients to these better hospitals. And so they're trying to educate us on on what that means and what it means for everybody wearing a mask, that you're protecting the hospital system, not just for those that are in the hospital with coronavirus, but those that need to go to the ICU for a heart attack or a trauma that you want to make sure there are those beds available and this week we teetered of, of close to 90 percent uh functionally full for those 16 referral center hospitals
1: and we've gone even further than that uh, university hospital exceeded 100 mm-hmm.
0: percent wow yeah th- these hospitals are full you you have to manage this even in one of your assignments right kate
2: it's true i um in, by virtue of kind of my city council assignment i serve on the hospital board for a local hospital in in bountiful and so it's, it's one of those things that has been a bit of a heavy assignment this year to be very aware early on of um, the impact of, of kind of closing all of those elective procedures in order to secure and save PPE, to um, do the engineering on um, ICU floors so that you could expand them, and then to, quite frankly, prepare and watch for what we're seeing now. Um, the, the hospitals and their staffs are stretched and the staff are worried. Um, and we're asking a lot of them right now and we're asking a lot of their families and so it seems to me that the very simplest thing that each of us could do would just just be to wear our masks they could be fashion masks like like ben is a a fan of i have i have gone for more the comfort masks Um, the more comfortable the better even if they're less fashionable Uh, but something so simple will really help our hospitals
0: what's so interesting to this issue as we talk about taking the politics out of at least that issue and about this common enemy that we all have in the coronavirus, uh, Ben, uh, our, our own Governor Gary Herbert just yesterday had a call with the National Governors Association with President-elect Joe Biden to talk about how we do this very issue. Uh, just a couple points about what, what you what you heard from that call and the, the impact of vaccines as we're hearing it coming through the country into the state.
1: Right. I mean, the vaccine is coming. There is a slight light at the end of the tunnel, but realistically, you have to temper it. Expectations. Uh, it's going to be July before most Utahns have mm-hmm. access to this. They are prioritizing who gets it because they don't. We don't know how many doses we're going to get. We don't know. You know, is this going to be something that works long term? Are we going to need to keep doing this? We we don't know if it has sterilizing immunity or if it's like the flu shot. Everybody's just trying to figure out how we're going to be able to do this. Uh, and and so there's that. Then uh, the governor expressed his desire to continue to let states make decisions based upon uh, what's best for their communities uh, versus a national mandate. And the governor certainly said that he hopes that President-elect Biden, and he called him that, he did. Uh, does allows for state decisions versus national decisions, a national mandate. There's been a lot of discussion about a national mask mandate. There's been a lot of people who are concerned about how vaccines are distributed, whether everybody has to get a vaccine, you know, how that's going to work. And the governor obviously wants it to be very much more of a a local issue.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Very interesting. In fact, putting together a local vaccine plan uh, for the state of Utah, which is important as well. Uh, Can we get into uh, the certification of elections? That feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, Yeah. can you believe that? (laughs) (laughs) But we're still talking about so, this week, we finally had the certification. So, you know, the, the people we thought were going to win, it's all certified has happened. Uh, we had a really great turnout here in the state of Utah. Uh, Kate, we, we hit 68%. This is the highest since 1976, which is it's, when
2: we hit 70%. It's amazing. Um, I get to serve because of my local government permission uh, position on a board of canvassers. So we had a, a bond election in addition. So I got to serve on that board of canvassers. It was so interesting to receive those reports, see who forgot to sign their ballot, who had an opportunity to cure their ballots. Um, you know, there were a few dead people that tried to vote that were caught. Um, so, you know, so that was a very interesting insight that, that you know for the first time that I was able to do, and the turnout was amazing. Um, you know, overall, the statewide turnout was fantastic. Uh, the turnout um, for our bond election in just the city of Bountiful was 91%. It's amazing, 90%. no one could ever remember it being that high. So a lot of positives, I think, for our election, but obviously this was uh, this was a, a tough year election-wise. Um, perhaps it's helpful that maybe we're spending Thanksgiving in a smaller way so we don't have to continue to have these dicey family discussions about the out- election <laughs> outcome.
0: Okay. I can only imagine the discussions at your house, Kate. Okay. <laughs> They're entertaining. Okay. Uh, last but I want to get into one of the races where this turnout had just an enormous outsized impact. This is on the fourth congressional district. Uh, after the final canvas here, uh, Burgess Owens won by 3,765 votes, that's 1%. Uh, let's talk about how this race this year was a little different than the last race where Ben McAdams won by well, less than 700 votes.
3: And that's the trouble with this district is that it's a relatively new district. And so we we look to the past to figure out what's going to play out this time. And it it keeps on being different. Turnout was definitely a factor this time around with Republican Burgess Owens winning. Uh, Utah County had excellent turnout. They didn't have the trouble that they had back in 2018. You remember it was after 2018 that the governor called Utah County the epicenter of dysfunction when it comes to problems on Election Day. Uh, They have a new county clerk auditor down there. They they have a new elections director and and really ramped it up and made sure things went smoothly. So turnout in Utah County uh, turned out to be a lot better and that uh, helped out Burgess Owens. And then in Salt Lake County, they feel like some of the precincts that would have helped Ben McAdams didn't turn out uh, like they needed to or like they did back in 2018. Also, we didn't have some of these initiatives on the ballot, uh, like a Medicaid expansion or a medical marijuana. And in, in back in 2018, when a lot of people showed up and registered same day on those provisional ballots, those went in favor of Ben McAdams. And this time, that just did not happen.
0: Okay, so a couple of really great points in there. Of course, when we're talking about these these turnout percentages, these are the percentages of registered voters, all right, which is just enormous all by itself because we want everyone to register to vote. But lad uh, was just talking about a couple issues that really helped Ben in 2018. Um, and sometimes these are about initiatives, right? Not necessarily, just about the candidates. Go ahead, Ben. Hot drives <laughs> polls. And that's what happened in 2018. You saw
1: voters very energized about the ballot initiatives. THEY DIDN'T MATERIALIZE THIS TIME. REPUBLICANS DID TURN OUT. REPUBLICANS TURNED OUT IN UTAH COUNTY IN DROVES. You, IN 2018, WHAT WE SAW WAS PEOPLE WAITING IN LINE, GETTING SO FRUSTRATED BY WAITING IN LINE TO VOTE. AFTER WAITING IN LINE FOR HOURS, THEY WENT HOME. THAT CERTAINLY ADVANTAGED THE DEMOCRAT. but. What we saw in this in this instance, there was a lot more reliance on vote by mail, a lot more messaging to get out, more people turned out, and obviously it was more turnout for the,
0: the Republicans. Yeah, to Ben's point, so Utah County itself, 89% turnout of registered voters, uh, which they did not have an option to do. Well, they had the option, but a lot of people went home in the last election in Utah County. So many problems, as Lad was just talking about, but this time Utah County really came through, and on this this time it went for the re- Republicans. Uh, Kate. Uh, why, why did we not see as great a turnout? Well, that's not right. We saw a great turnout in Salt Lake County also, but this time not for the Democratic candidate.
2: That's true, and I think a lot of credit does go to the Utah County clerk. She did a lot of things to make voting more accessible and easier for the people of utah county and so that changed and then of course we've had the extra emphasis this year of using the mail-in voting system which most utahns are very familiar with and we're comfortable with as a a state so that definitely made it easier for the utah county voter to turn out than it had in the prior election you know the lack of ballot initiatives is an interesting phenomenon Um, you know there's been a lot of of Work and analysis done on the impact the two ballot initiatives Ben mentioned, um, Medicaid expansion, medical marijuana had. There were potentials for ballot initiatives to be on the 2020 ballot. Um, There was a a carbon tax issue that was tried and didn't meet the signature threshold, and there was one that I was um, involved in that ended up settling in a legislative compromise on the issue of of three-two beer. Had that not, you know, been a compromise in the legislative session, it likely also would have been on the 2020 ballot, and that might have driven a, a Salt Lake County voter in a, in a different way, just as the as the carbon tax issue might have also driven a Salt Lake County voter in a different way than perhaps a Utah County voter. Very interesting. And it
1: wasn't just beer. It would have been wine, too. Beer and wine. It
2: likely would have been a more expansive ballot initiative, if not for that legislative yeah. compromise in the 19 legislative uh-huh. session.
0: So that, that could have, that's what, if this was on the ballot this time, that could have impacted that Salt Lake it County It could have been
2: vote. a very interesting. Um, you know, factor in the election, in my opinion, because of what we saw mm. two years earlier with these other two issues that drove, a, a you know, a more democratic voter out to the polls. In this interesting mishmash we have in the 4th district between Utah County and Salt Lake County.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Lad, there's one other initiative that we voted on last time too the Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, interesting because, uh, you know, it, this district, the 4th Congressional District, I'm not sure it was ever drawn in a way that was supposed to make it easy on Democrats to win. So, I guess the, the curious question is whether or not uh, our legislature is going to try to address it yet again.
3: And that's I think the worry for Democrats this district uh, pulled in you know rural uh, Juab Sanpete counties and, and Utah County that is becoming more urban and then parts of Salt Lake County that are urban and and we've, we've seen that it is a battleground district and and Ben McAdams talked about that he, he wished Democrats on the national level. Uh, would think more about districts like his uh, that that can go either way and and how to appeal to those voters. But the the issue is, uh, could it be changed to to further solidify a a Republican base there? No. Now with Burgess Owens win uh, that Utah's congressional delegation, uh, the lone Democrat will be gone and it will be all Republican again.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, the impact of of turnout, it's just so good to have this kind of turnout uh, in every kind of election. But Kate, there were some impacts on our very local elected officials as well. Talk about a couple of those. We had some several races that were won by less than 200 votes.
2: Yeah, in in the Utah legislature, there's a handful of seats that are always interesting to watch, particularly in Salt Lake County. Um, And several of them, for a couple election cycles, have been very narrow victories or defeats. Um, Representative Craig Hall, his was one that was very close, was watched all the way until the final canvas. Um, Representative Jim Dunnigan was another one that was very, very close, and he managed to hang on. Um, uh, Representative Steve Ellison, He uh, looked like he was going to be down and lose and slowly, as more votes were counted through the canvas, um, came back. And then, of course, there's there's a uh, one-seat pickup. For the Utah Democratic Party in our uh, state house, um, Representative Hutchings had served for a long time, um, and and lost to uh, Ashley Matthews. Mm-hmm. So it's it you know if if you got a little tired of national politics, there were some really interesting local races um, that were neck and neck all the way through the election cycle and through this final counting where the the daily data dumps were you know, moving people up and yeah. down on who was ahead.
0: So, so amazing. I, I know all of us uh, were watching the, the screen every few minutes, pushing refresh to see those, those come in. Uh, interesting impact, uh, Shireen Gorbani with, with the County Council. That was uh, certainly something that just, it flipped. It did, and and
1: there was a lot of seats in Salt Lake County government, particularly, that it looked like going into the election, the Democrats were going to dominate, that you expected that Biden-Harris kind of train that, that you would see. But then as the results came in and you saw more turnout by Republicans, and the Republicans really turned out in Salt Lake County, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people expected Salt Lake County itself would just go blue, and it's still really, really purple. You have a Republican majority of a Republican supermajority now on the uh, County Council, Uh, but you have a Democratic mayor. You have a, uh, you know, obviously Salt Lake County went overwhelmingly for Biden in the election. Uh, So it's, there's a lot to just really unpack there. And and I think all of us are gonna be analyzing this in the months to come to see, you know, how this works, because it does appear that there was some split ticketing going on, that people may not have been uh, necessarily satisfied with President Trump in Salt Lake County but they certainly
0: liked their local Republican leadership and in, in their elected officials that they chose. So interesting to see that that did happen, because of course, this is the first election we had in Utah where you could not do a straight party ticket, which meant every person had to go through person by person. And it's interesting to your great point as well, that it's not just the, the turnout in Salt Lake County that mattered right here, it's where in Salt Lake County those people were showing up, it ended up being a big deciding factor. Uh, I, since we're talking about elections, I wanna take just a moment about where, how Utah is getting involved in in this big, big-picture conversation about election fr- election fraud, mm-hmm. okay, because this, you know, the president of the United States is still going strong in uh, the assertions about uh, there's some wide-scale voter fraud, but we're really not seeing that come to fruition. What are our local elected officials saying about this?
2: You know the the lieutenant governor, our new governor-elect, Spencer Cox. He has been pretty vocal, and because his job as lieutenant governor was to be over elections, he's very familiar with our election process, and he's been a defender, saying that um, of course Utah's elections were fraud-free. We obviously were comfortable with mail-in yeah. balloting, um, but you've seen some of uh, you've seen a split. In our in our U.S. senators representing Utah, um, in terms of whether they believe that that there was fraud or whether we should continue to, to play out some of these challenges that that President Trump is moving forward, uh, it's it's been an interesting experience, and I think. Um, for most voters, for most of our lives, we've probably like kind of known on election day, if you stayed up late enough, you know, at two in the morning, you'd know. But we've all learned a lot more about how canvases work, how curing ballots work. Um, I think that's probably good for us. I think maybe your average voter didn't know much about that process. And this is this election cycle will mean that we can never claim we don't know <laughs> how that's the true. canvases work and how they're a little bit unique in each state and how the states have um, their own process for how they manage elections and everyone's a little bit different. We really love mail-in balloting. Some other states, yeah. not so much.
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, and I want to talk about what our, our elected officials, and you mentioned Mitt Romney and, and Senator Mike Lee, our two senators, have had a couple things to, to say about this. Uh, ben, but I'm curious about how strong Mitt Romney has been this week, all right? Last night's tweet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm just so curious, because I want to I want to kind of show the difference between these two things. So the Utah Republican Party put out a statement saying yes essentially
1: that they want let's it's it's parroting a lot of the National Republican Party line which is let's see how this plays out let's let's thoroughly investigate let's vet these things despite court challenge after court challenge after court challenge you know just falling apart they they kind of sided with the president there then a few hours later Senator Romney put out a tweet and uh, basically Went after the president. Yeah, he should. Sure it
0: was a little bit of a subtweet on the Republican Party of Utah, too. Yeah, it kind of was too. I want to read that because it was just so important to get the the difference between these two approaches. He's a Republican. Mitt Romney is a Republican. But t- a response, so lad, I want to read this quote to you and give, get your take on it as well about the impact from Senator Mitt Romney. He said, "Having failed to make even a plausible case of widespread fraud or conspiracy before any court of law, the president has now resorted to." overt pressure on state and local officials to subvert the will of the people and overturn the election. It is difficult to imagine a worse, more undemocratic action by a sitting American
3: president. Wow, that's serious. (laughs) Yeah, that is serious. And, you know, after the election, Mitt Romney had a discussion, a conference call with reporters where where he talked about the openness. If there are irregularities, uh, they they should be investigated. But the problem all along has been has been the actual evidence. uh, the T- Trump attorneys will argue that, that, that uh, the people won't come forward right now because they're af- afraid, And but there are affidavits that exist here. Uh, but that's been the threshold everyone's been asking for is, is where is uh, that evidence? And uh, some of the problem that we're seeing right now is as the states are starting to certify their results, that this effort is, is ongoing. And uh, today we know that Trump has invited uh, representatives from Michigan State House and, and Senate to to come to the white house and and that's where romney's talking about is this pressure is this pressure on them to somehow uh have influence over the results of the election in that state
0: okay so what do you think uh the statement from the utah republican party right then what she was saying you know these things should be looked at they should be investigated and if necessary litigated is this the result do you think of pressure coming from the trump administration or others on the republican party
2: it's hard to think that there's not a little bit of pressure coming because as Ben mentioned, there's these court challenges in different states have gone up and they've fallen apart in courts. They haven't had the, the evidence they've said they've had. They've repeated these, these very damning allegations, but they haven't had evidence to back it up. And, and I think there's a little bit of, of um, worry that, y- you know, you can't just cry wolf and not feel like that's not going to have an impact on the system. We have over 250 years of peaceful transitions of power, it's the hallmark. Of, of our system, and to think that that might not happen is is, um, is scary to me personally, and I think it's scary to our markets and all kinds of things. I, it, you know, integrity of elections is incredibly important. We should we should check that out. But you also have to be careful that you're not throwing out, uh, you know, allegations that are unfounded.
0: Yeah, we'll be watching this one closely as it develops. Thank you all for your great analysis tonight. So helpful, and we're we're better informed because of you. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.